Well, uh, on today's show, we chatted to James Rhino Thomas, uh, a man who, despite encountering a bombing, uh, several earthquakes, and a fire aboard his flight home, has never uh, encountered any any bad surf trip. It seems, Tom. Yeah, and not even. I think didn't he say he dislocated his shoulder on like the first wave of a surf trip <laughs> yeah, as well? That. <laughs> that just tells you everything you need to know about. What he's like, though, really, isn't it? That you know, he's got you know a lifelong uh, affinity for mishaps, and yet comes out of it smiling all the time. Yeah, great guest. Um, absolutely stoked just having chatted to him for for a while. There, um, we've been all over the world. We've talked about perfect waves, um, and we've talked about terrible surf trips as well. Uh, we've talked about his competitive career and his competitive savvy. Um, his rivalries and what it's like to have your hero sitting at the end of your bed strumming a guitar in the early hours <laughs> of, a, of, a, of a full moon night. Um, to find out who that hero is, keep listening. Here's the show. Super stoked for Crest episode three to be able to welcome four times Welsh Open champ Rhino Thomas to the podcast. Rhino is going to preside over this week's trip nightmare, as well as reminiscing about the finer things in life and generally chatting all things surf and travel. A charger in the water and one of the most stoked people I know. Welcome to Crest, Rhino. So Rhino, the warmest possible welcome to our podcast. As Tom mentioned, a charger, no doubt, and the eternal Grom, invariably stoked, constantly chatting. I've always enjoyed watching and surfing with Rhino. He's the epitome of a local hero, one of the guys I looked up to as a Grom and still do. So it's great to have you on as one of our first guests. How are you, mate? Great. Rob, thanks very much. Wow, what an introduction. Uh, yeah, stoked to, be here, stoked to be here and uh, really stoked to be on your new show and well done. Really uh, listened to the first one and it was, uh, sounded fantastic. Cheers, Bird. Well, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to have you here. And so far, uh, less novel. Let's remind you who my co-host is. To my left is the man credited with stamping out knife crime in the village of Tithixton, the once dangerous streets and now a welcoming environment, thanks in large part to Tom's bellatristic initiative, Writing Not Fighting. The 12-week course takes known gang members and aims to transform them from crooks to columnists, ruffians to reporters, to an intensive writing program. It's Tom Anderson. How are you, Tom? Nice. Uh, well done, Rob. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and I, I, I am. This is a losing battle. Uh, this little, uh, whatever we call it, uh, <laughs> skit off that we're having at the start of these shows, isn't it? Okay, here comes my pathetic attempt. Then, uh, and to my right, uh, the go-to man for online tutoring in the town of Hossegor. I'm told, uh, en français ou en anglais, Groms. He'll tell your parents your HTUs are coming on no end when really all you're doing is working your way through the canon of hipster surf movies. It's Robert Webster Blythe. Ah, well, Tom, um, I'm a bit concerned because I thought you said we, we couldn't use the podcast to promote our own goods and services. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, fair point. Well, you keep mentioning my uh, rather modest writing career in my intros, <coughs> available from Amazon and most good bookshops. So I thought and... I'd... Uh, 
Yeah, that's crossing the line, mate. Um, but I suppose you do need all the help you can get with those sales, eh? Now, I'm uh, I'm linking themes, see? It's, it's what writers do. I'm setting up, it's it's a sales pitch, because that's Rhino's thing, isn't it? See, like, did you see the, 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 what I was doing there? I was coming into like marketing, selling, on product knowledge. On <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I'd probably start with this surfing genius myself. So, well, hang on, why don't we have a bash at using this script, shall we? I mean, you do talk enough about how much time you spend writing them, so we may as well use them. All right, fair enough. Uh, yeah. Rhino Thomas. What can we say by way of introduction? Well, of course, the headline figure when talking about this guy's surfing legacy is the four Welsh Open titles he won during the late 90s and into the early noughties. Uh, as a 16-year-old Grom, I can vividly recall the sight of this guy free-falling off a backhand floater to lock in the first title of that winning run. Uh, as a surfer, Rhino is one of the Welsh guys to really step up in heavy foreign lineups. someone with a real appetite for barrels and big drops. Out of the water, he has spent a career in the surf and action sports industry, seeing it change in untold ways, all the while remaining at the top of his game as a consummate professional. We should probably record an entire podcast talking to Rhino about fin foils uh, or other technological advancements in the sport of surfing that we, and i'm sure it would last you know and be just as interesting as talking to him about surfing but that would mean missing out on what really makes rhino rhino among the many interesting conversations i've had with him over the years one thing that's always been clear is the commitments he's made to living a life around and about the sport of surfing and its lifestyle since his teenage years rhino has chased waves and sought surf spots yes we all know his stats as a fierce competitor but where does such an energy and a desire to master your sport come from? In Rhino's case, the answer is simple. Stoke. And a versatile appetite for it, too. This is someone who can get as amped for a dawny in our local point during a winter storm as he can for a flight south to warmer climes. Contest savvy aside, I know few people who love surf travel as much as today's guest. Ah, yes, surf travel. I know we offered false promises not to talk about it too wistfully in our previous episodes. But when Rhino is with us, it'd be rude not to tap into a life spent surf tripping. Cold and uncaring, or a tropical ideal, Rhino's appetite for the departure lounge, the road, the foreign breakfast bar, or an ocean sunset on another continent is as strong today as it's ever been. And his stoke for good waves is infectious. All of this while he remains one of the most is why he remains one of the most appreciated surfing personalities in God's country. How was that for an intro then, Rhines? Ooh, that's it. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, we thought we thought we'd try and give you a little bit of welly. Um, so oh. um, that question there that uh, Rob back uh, asked back there, perhaps if um, you know we start with that, where does that energy uh, and the desire to master your sport come from? Well, like you said, Rob, I think uh, this whole surfing lark was ingrained from a very early age. Um, I lived by the beach uh, in Rest Bay. Um, I started off just on one of the little polystyrene surfboards, the little floaties that uh, we all had. We didn't stand up on it, but just lie down. And then it sort of, that, you know, the seed was planted and uh, I just had free reign to go to the beach. Uh, whenever I could, I could get up before school. Um, I'd get up at four o'clock in the morning sometimes, surf for two hours, go back to bed for two hours and then go to school. Uh, and then I'd come home at lunchtime, get in the water for half an hour, uh, so you can see the sort of what was going on there. I just 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 couldn't keep out the water. So um, from a very early age, I was in there, just just loving the, loving it, and uh, moving on from there, I just 
knew that I just didn't want to do anything else. Um, and just from, from the competitive scene, it sort of obviously I moved into the competitive scene. And then after that, uh, I just, 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 just that love for surfing has never left me. Oh, uh, yeah. Rhino grew up in, uh, it was Kitty Wake and Curlew, those two roads right behind Rest Bay. And when I was a grom, I used to look at those two roads and think, like, that is living the dream sitting you know on one of those roads being able to go in the water all the time so it was really nice there hearing you talk about it as uh as wistfully as i remember those streets um i tell you what we could start um by asking about the nickname rhino because you really are one of those people who is known as rhino like i think it's it's only your wife that calls you james isn't it um so I where thought, did it come from i thought you were actually gonna say you're one of the only people I know who's grown into his nickname. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, um, do you know what? Uh, it, it, it started at a fairly early age, uh, just as I joined the comp, age 11. Had a bit of a, a funny uh, period going through primary school, and I really wanted to make uh, a bit of a mark when I joined the comprehensive. So I, I moved into my form class, and uh, strangely, the person that I thought that I would uh, pick on, as it were, <laughs> was Greg Owen. And uh, Greg was wearing these real strange pasty shoes. So I was like, look at your shoes. And it literally is as boring as that. Greg then turned around and just looked at me, went, look at your rhino boots. And uh, <laughs> I was known as rhino boots right throughout what school. and then uh, Big, big clompers, big, huge things, you know, like so big, it's because the shoes, the feet looked like the feet of a rhino. Is that what it is? They were just, I think that's what it was. I think, I don't know where I got these things from. I don't know, some cheap shop somewhere, but uh, hey, they kept me wet. Kept me, uh, For the roof. benefit of the tape, Rhino is now demonstrating what a shoe looks like with his hands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it was and it's stuck ever since. Yeah, it was interesting. To, you know, you you, you mentioned uh, a certain individual just then, because um, you did have a good competitive rivalry with that person, didn't you? And um, it, it, that was also something that was the the, the course of some banter in the school room, uh, in the classroom before your first it ever was. contest, wasn't it? That's right. It was. Um, like I, I I just started surfing for fun. Um, but should we give him the cold became... guard treatment and change his name then? You know, what should we call him? Reg Bowen? Or can we call him... <laughs> yeah, he's for the purposes of today, he's Reg Bowen. Okay, so we're all Reg. <laughs> so, uh, so, no, I was sitting in the classroom uh, on a Friday night and the Reg uh, turned around to me and goes, Hey, Rhino, are you entering this competition tomorrow? And, uh, you know, all the girls were there, they were listening, they were all laughing at me thinking... Oh, old Rhino, he's a surfer, but he's no good. And uh, old Reg was giving it the big one. And uh, But it was 100% Mambo Scholastics Championships, and it was to be my first ever surfing competition. So, of course, I was really nervous. And I was sitting in the classroom. It was double maths on a Friday afternoon, and uh, Reg was giving it all. And then he just turned to me with this phrase, which will stay with me forever. He actually said, hey, Rhino, you've got about as much chance of beating me as I have of beating Tom Curran. And of course, <laughs> Tom Curran in those days was the equivalent of Kelly Slater today. So all the girls knew who Tom Curran was and all the girls were laughing and it was like, oh, and I was gutted. So of course, mm -hmm. competition day came, surf was pumping, got my heat. And who do I Best draw? Day? It was old, Re old Reg. It, no, it was Coney Beach. It was howling Coney Southwest Beach. Yeah. <laughs> so me and Reg, 
I got my uh, got my rash vest on, all nervous. And of course, for me, that was just the best. Monday morning, back into school, and I crawled across to old Reg. Hey, Reg, how'd you get on? <laughs> but of course, I beat him over the weekend. And uh, from that day on, I was quite accepted in school. And uh, that's really where I think my desire and my drive for competition started. So, uh, yeah, thanks, Reg. That's good. <laughs> I, I think, had no idea you boys were the same year in school. We've covered. Yeah, him he was there, in my. Uh, he was in. He was in my form class. That is so funny. So, and what are the odds of that? Like two. Well, between you, was that seven Welsh title open titles from one form class in a comp? Amazing. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. happens though, doesn't it? Because I think people kind of push each other, don't they? Yeah. If you look at all the notable, well, the, the major winners in in any given sport, quite often they'll have someone competing with them side by side be it uh i can't think of any good examples in surfing now but uh the the brownlee twins for instance in triathlons yeah. they grew up twin brothers and they're and they're both ripping mm. i i mean just going back to that like it wasn't just reg and myself it was uh you know Porthcall comp was like a hotbed of talent uh mm. and it was, it was um there was guys like paul, paul level who we paul level was there he was in our year um and there, but not just those guys. There was lots of other guys who weren't competitive surfers who were really, really good. Yeah, Damien Jones, I remember. That's right. Um, he, was, he was in my mind. I was thinking about him. Moved to London, I think, didn't he? Got, got a job as a graphic right. designer or something. God, such a stylish surfer. And, you know, I was, you know, nowadays we sort of feel a little bit, I think, as if we kind of are of the same generation. But when you were, you know, reaching that kind of 18, 19, 20, age gap between us felt a lot bigger and i was a proper grom still then and so i can really remember seeing like rhino paul level greg damian jones and all these guys having these surf offs against each other you know and, and, and the first time i saw rhino surf was at scare on a freezing cold winter morning and i'd just heard of this guy called rhino who's like the best surfer because he does 360s and i went over <laughs> to scare with my dad <laughs> And um, and then we saw. I saw someone goes, "That's Rhino," and he had like this, like blondish mullet. You know, it was quite like you were quite noticeable. And Rhino <laughs> did one of his three sixties, and I can remember my dad kind of going, "Oh, that's a that's a trick. It's a trick that is." <laughs> and it's kind of, you know, and I think my dad was like obviously annoyed because he wanted his son to think that like he was the man surfing, you know. And like obviously, as you get yeah. a bit older, you realize that you know your dad is the man, you know. But but at he the time, the I think for my dad, he was kind of like, "Oh, look." my son's into like what that guy's doing, you know, rather than my dad's like drop me cut back or something, you know, which I would, would learn to appreciate down the line, obviously. Absolutely. Absolutely. And still stays in my mind to this day. Yeah. That's I think I'm just, I've been trying to think of um, my mem first memory of seeing Rhino uh, surfing or noticing you surfing. And I can't think of it. You just always seem to be there as, as a grommet. You'd always kind of pays testament to your, the, the enthusiasm we talked about earlier. You're always in the water. Whenever I turned up at the beach, you're always in there, be it rest or the point or wherever. And like I say, you were kind of like the guy. We're like, oh, it's right. Rhino's in. Or like any wave you got, we were all kind of looking over our shoulders to see what you're going to do next. Hey, Tom, yeah. uh, Rob, the uh, shoes on the other foot. Now I look at you like that and I'm thinking, hey, there's, there's that Rob Bly. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, uh, no, no, no. It, it, uh, I, I think it was just, again, like I said, it was just that thing where we all did it. Um, it was perhaps a time before, uh, for me anyway, before the PlayStation generation came along. Um, and 
there was it was just what we did and we loved it and uh it just carried on so yeah now you went from school to uni didn't you rhino and graduated so you know you've got a degree and it was a vocational mm-hmm. degree as well wasn't it was it t- teaching i did a teaching degree i did a b-ed in a four-year course in swansea's institute in town hill in swansea um and yeah no uh questions no uh real you know questions why i chose swansea there because obviously it's uh close to the sea and again it's uh it's the lifestyle it's the surfing it was there for me and uh that's what i did uh picked up a student nationals title along the way i think you did didn't you i did i did yes um oh, that... the biggest they, like that was the that was a that was a class competition like i just can remember and this is this this actually happened like going in for my heat i went uh, with my friend tall paul and uh, we drove down together cuz the swansea institute minibus was full and um my first heat, there was literally one guy was on an inflatable crocodile and the rest were just drinking Stella. And I was like, am I in the real <laughs> competition here? You've, uh, you've stolen my story there, Rhino. I got, oh, really? so in my, in my first, yeah, so the four years I did the, the student nationals. Yeah. Four? I, I, How did you manage to do it for four? Because I got, I was a ringer in the fourth year. <laughs> I got drafted in. because <laughs> I still knew all the committee. That was my best result, actually. It came down to um, a point, this, like a, a split, a count back in the final. I ended what up getting second. Oh, no, because my best result in that is third. But, so that so Rhino's got a first, you've got a second, and I got a third. So <laughs> I, uh, yeah, but in, technically, you, we, we equal each other on the third because I wasn't actually in university when I got the second. <laughs> but, uh, the, uh, in my first year, though, that was the year I didn't reach the final, I got knocked out in the, in the first round. So it was, first draw was kind of, it was pretty good. It was like solid five or six foot, but pretty windy. And they opted to move it to, um, was it Tawan around the corner? Yeah. And it was like howling offshore, really small, like a foot, really inconsistent. And I actually did get knocked out by someone on a crocodile. <laughs> yeah. I, I'd come straight from the party, though. I, hadn't, I don't think I'd slept. Ah. And, uh, the, but what a competition. That was such a fun competition. There's another one. I'd, not to take over this, this uh, chat with you, Rhino, but this is a funny story. So this is in the semi final. Elliot Dudley and I were both in the same heat. We were both representing Cardiff University at the time. Yeah. And uh, in our heat was uh, Josh Leatherbarrow from Jersey and a boy called Matt Lemaitre from Guernsey. And of oh, course, Jersey and Guernsey, Jersey and Guernsey had this massive rivalry. And coming into the last like three or four minutes of the heat, I think I was in first, Elliot was in third, something like that. And I think in order... To, for us to win the title that year, Elliot had to make it into. Sorry, this is the semis, uh, the quarters, and then to, Elliot had to make it into the semis. With, we both had to make it to get uh, a spot on the podium. And Matt Lemaitre was just lining up this perfect set wave. It was the one year we had it absolutely as good as it gets. Fisher was really big, really clean, barely any wind. And we just saw Matt Lemaitre stroking into this bomb. And by this point, Josh Leatherbarrow from Jersey was like away and gone in fourth. He had no hope. But he looked at us and went, Don't worry, boys, I've got this. <laughs> and the rivalry, the rivalry came out because he just faded him into oblivion <laughs> and stopped him getting the score, and Elliot picked up the yeah. wave behind and took the took second position. Amazing, so funny. Yeah. I set up the the Glamorgan University team to go to that contest the first time I went to it, and uh, there was this bloke from Pembroke who signed. I put these little flyers around the university saying, "Do you want to come to the surf club? Join us, join the surf club, and all this." And he, this this bloke came along, 
and he was he could surf and he was like oh yeah i've never done a competition before i'm uh, you know i'm really keen so i was like trying to explain to him the rules and all that he threw his vest on he paddled out he got himself a really good wave did a couple of turns and i was like yes this is brilliant morgan uni you're gonna place somewhere you know and then he paddled back out and he just turned around and dropped in on someone and then he did it again <laughs> and he did it again and again and then he came in and he was like i did really well then didn't i <laughs> no. he just That's didn't brilliant. know the rule the, the drop-in rule uh, the, the other awesome. thing about that comp is how many people entered it you know and and it's i think the biggest, I, wasn't it wasn't it is I, it the world's biggest entry it's yeah. not it's europe's i think it's oh, is absolutely it? massive but like 500 it, it, I people I think it also holds the record for the the amount of uh, alcohol in blood systems in people <laughs> in heat. It's it's ridiculous. <laughs> Saw some funny things at those contests. Yeah, that well, was- I mean, you got Rob Rob Miles was on our, our team the, well, for my duration of my university career, and I mean, yeah, he's he's a fun guy <laughs> and a future guest on the show. We're uh, hopeful. Um, hey, Absolutely. Rhino, you you didn't. Um, you didn't use well. Do we say use the degree? The, the, I think it's really interesting that you didn't then go into a teaching career or explore a teaching career. You went straight the na- the natural progression of the you know the um, the first grade surfer really. You know, like to win win a couple of surf contests. You had the Billabong sponsorship from a very young age, and then you just went straight into the surf industry as a rep, didn't you? So so that was right. I mean, very I- deliberate. Yeah, absolutely. The um, the choice, probably to my uh, parents' dismay, was uh, I came out of university or to out of college, um, and I and I really felt at that point was that I wasn't ready to have a serious job, one that I had to really commit to for the rest of my life, uh, because I think that teaching is that job, uh, and it requires a hundred percent commitment from that person, uh, and full respect to all teachers. Uh, all around the world because they do a fantastic job. But yeah, you're right. I think um, what I did, my choice as I came out was uh, to go, right, I'm just going to have a, a stopgap. And I became a postman, a part-time postman. for. Oh, yeah, I remember was, that. Yeah, it was supposed to be, uh, I was like, oh, I'll just do it for a couple of months. Uh, and I, I think it became, I think I did it for about just over two years. Um, and in that time, I went to, to the worlds in California. Um, and the reason being that I was, I was still at home. I was able to surf. I had that plenty of time during the day where I could just surf when I wanted. Um, the post, uh, it's, that's one of the like, prime surf jobs, isn't it, a postman? Uh, it was they were all was surfers the then, weren't they? Yeah, absolutely. The, you know, when I went into the Porth Call um, sorting office, you know, there was there was probably about like a good seven, eight, nine guys in there who surf. Sorry, I've got fairy liquid in my beer. <laughs> so, Rhino, what was how did how did it work out? You moving from being a postman through to rapping in the surf industry? Well, it actually became. Uh, I think it's part of growing up. I, I kind of just went. You know what? I think this time is right for me to perhaps cross over into a serious job, but I still didn't want to let it go that much. So. Uh, Luckily, with my connections with uh, the sponsorship with Billabong and Brad Hockridge, um, Brad, Brad very kindly took me on as a, a rep for Globe Shoes and the Realm. And it kind of started from there, really. Um, I, I was on the road. My main area of, when I was selling was Cornwall. I was down there like most weeks. So, and of course, just it made surfing really easy and accessible. Um, and it was good because 
just being around like-minded people, you know, like the, the, the guys who I used to meet in the stores were mainly surfers. Um, and it was just a happy-go-lucky environment to be in. And uh, back then it was. It, surf industry was pretty much booming. Uh, I was just going to say that. That was like the golden age, wasn't it? it yeah. Was, everybody was buying buying surf stuff. And you, you wander down any high street and you'd see any any given surf brand like emblazoned on somebody's chest. Exactly. And I think it was back then, that was when it was cool to be a surfer. Everybody wanted a part of it. and. Um, you had, uh, and the other thing I think which was quite interesting was that the up the north of the UK there wasn't that many sort of surf shops, to, uh, so to speak. So the guys coming down from the north uh, on holiday, they would see all these big surf brands, and they just uh, they were they just wanted a part of it, and uh, it was it was great. Things were good, and um, you kind of couldn't really do a thing wrong, really. Um, it's changed now, mind. I think when you were when you were when you were doing that job, Rhino, working for Glow, that's when I first kind of like got to know you a little bit. Yeah. A, a, and uh, I remember like popping up the the warehouse as it was back then. Yeah. When it, it when it was it it, it wasn't the it was like the, the smaller one. I forget where it was even. Oh. Uh, but uh, yeah, I remember. And I just remember being a scrum with my my eyes were wide, just like looking around this room full of wetsuits and good paraphernalia and like all the people that I looked up to in the water. All working under one roof. That's been a good place to work. That never ever got old. Do you know what? Walking into work every single day, and uh, just you'd see there would be brand new wetsuits, there'd be brand new surfboards, the latest technologies. You'd have faces from abroad, like surfers from abroad coming in. You'd have there you go. I'd just to drop a couple of names. You know, like well, I was working with the guys from Dirty Sanchez, and you know that. That I was part. I was working with those guys when Dirty Sanchez took off. So it was a really, really interested and fun time to be involved in the industry for sure. Yeah, that 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 used to blow my mind as well when I'd go in there. And I remember those Dirty Sanchez <laughs> boys, Pritch- Pritchard and Dainton. I think Pat- Pancho was in the warehouse, wasn't he? And I remember one time they were opening. One of them had a new signature model um, skateboard. Um, just the deck, and uh, uh, unfortunately, we've told uh, Apple Podcasts that we can't swear, so uh, we can't swear. But um, they op- he opened the box and he started like going f dot k f dot shouting really loud, you know, like that, that word, you know, <laughs> shouting, shouting, shouting this word over and over again. And I was going, what, what's wrong? What's wrong? And he pulled the first of his signature deck out, and that was what was written on it. <laughs> it was just a flat <laughs> board <laughs> with that written on it in white. And uh, yeah. another, another time as well. Um, I'd, I'd hurt my eye really badly in super tubes, fin through the eye and stitches and everything. And Pritchard was in one day and uh, I was coming by for some reason. Oh, what happened to your eye? And I said, oh, well, the thing is, see, I got into a bit of a scrap the other night on a night out. And uh, I took down five bouncers, but the fifth one got me on the way out the door, like just <laughs> fooling around. And Pritchard goes, uh, I thought I heard about that. Yeah. And then just walked off. <laughs> I was like, in their world. <laughs> That's not a silly story. Um, no. That is funny. They've grown up now, was, haven't they? They certainly have, and they've gone the other... I, do you know what? Interestingly, I mean, just to carry on that story a little bit, um, I, working with them both were... It was like night and day. Like, they were like a... T- T- Pritchard was a personality on the TV that I saw, and I didn't see that in the office. He was a completely different person. He was very quiet, very shy, retiring. Uh, great cook. Uh, a bit of a prankster. Um, same with Dayton, really. But, uh, yeah, really good blokes, pair of them. Really good lads. And then one day, Brad summons you to the office 
and uh, <laughs> you think you think you're in trouble. I and, well, I was always you... in trouble with Brad. I, he's always shouting at me, so it wasn't anything unusual. But this one particular time, he called me in and he was like, "Rhino, get in this office now!" And I was like, "Oh no, what have I done now? I'm surely I'm what?" And of course, so he says, sit down there. So I'm sitting in the, in the office. You know, it's like one of those office that, that, you know, one of those meetings without coffee. You know, it's not a pleasurable meeting. I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm really, I'm really in trouble here. And uh, he's like, have you booked appointments for next week? And I was like, yeah, yeah, of course I have. And he's like, right, well, you need to cancel them. And I was like, oh, God, oh, I'm no. being fired. I'm being fired. And he's like, have you got a passport? And I'm like, what? And uh, he's, he's like, right, what I need you to do uh, you've got a couple of surf. You've got a. You've got your quiver. Your quiver of surfboards. I was like, yeah. He goes, right, good. He goes, right. What I need to do next Tuesday? Um, I need you to drive to Heathrow Airport. Um, and then you're gonna. I'm just gonna give you a couple of tickets here. And he just passed over the desk these tickets with Singapore Airlines. I was like, what is this? Flying to Java and then to the Mentawai Islands for a uh, a carve photo shoot uh, to the Mentawais. Like, like I nearly fell through the floor. I couldn't believe it. Like. I'd never been to Indo before. I'd barely been anywhere else before. But like Indo was my dream. I just really wanted to go there. Um, and of course, it was one of those things. Like I, I was like, I, but I, I can't afford. It. I haven't got you know. He said, No, just go, just go. It's all sorted. It's all paid for. You go in. And it happened. And uh, it was one of the Gosh. raddest things. One of the raddest Gosh. things that's ever happened. It's the stuff of dreams, isn't it? <laughs> Do you know what? Uh, and I and I be, yeah yeah. To be fair. Uh, I was really lucky. I was very lucky. But Brad really, you know, for um, as well as employing me, he sort of put me on quite a few trips, you know, like uh, around the world, which was amazing, all paid for. And uh, it was fantastic. It was just, it was dreamy. <laughs> and that was when the Mentawis was really, um, you know, like a growing surf destination, like as in not the surf destination it is now where you can go and stay in a resort at Macaroni's. This was the boat you guys Right, you know, sort of empty lineups at some of those spots back then. That's right. Yeah, yeah. We um we turned up. Uh, I think I th- I can't remember the exact time in, but I think it was around about twenty five. That's just under twenty five years ago, something like that. I might be wrong, but uh, it was you know between twenty and twenty five years ago. Uh, and what I can remember, I never forget it. Just opening the boat. I was sleeping, you know, down below, and I sort of pulled the the curtain across of the porthole, looking out. And it was like as if I was watching a surf movie, you know, like just you seeing were in these... sick joy. Uh, yeah, uh, it was just incredible. And there was there honestly um, pulling like into macaronis, and there was no one in, like no one in, and paddling out there, you know. And we, I don't think I ever took it for granted, but like we were there. I think we, were, Alan Stokes was on the trip, Guts was on the trip, uh, Danny Ward, bodyboarder, was on the. trip. Craig Farnsworth was there. Um, Sam Bleakley, great guy. Um, we had a fabulous trip. Uh, really, not not absolutely class mentalities, but because it was our fir- my first trip, and I think it was um, most of the boys' first trip as well. Uh, we 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 had a blast. We had an absolute blast, and it was just like you say, just what dreams are made of. Yeah, I was going to say, Rhino, the uh, not not quite the mentalities, but. I certainly had a good time, nonetheless. Um, on a, another uh, trip, thanks to Brad, um, we went to Ireland back. Oh, I kind of must have been. It doesn't seem that long ago. It's probably about fifteen years ago now. 
but we we scored and i don't know if you remember this is kind of like my i think it's, it's the first trip i'd been on with you all and i had my clothes stolen by a disgruntled simon tucker <laughs> and i think in fact i just remembered you still got my dressing gown because i lent you my dressing have, gown yeah and well, it was this a- is kind of yeah, this is this is testament to to Rhino's character. So the the one of the three groms on the trip, and um, I, Brad had like kind of coaxed me into taking a picture of Simon whilst he was going to the toilet, and Simon didn't take very kindly to it, and so he stole my clothes, and I was naked for the for the trip home to the ferry, and they, as I later found out, they were stashed in the in the footwell of uh, this. Chrysler Voyager that had all these different nooks and crannies. That's right. Ra- rather than leave me a grog naked, Rhino, of course, donated his dressing gown to me. So I-, I turned up at the ferry port with Rhino's dressing gown on to come home. And I'm quite big into dressing gowns, I'll have you know. As you can see, I'm in mine right now. <laughs> I've got another three lined up over there, so I wouldn't mind yeah. that one back. Thanks. Yeah, that's fine, mate. I can re- <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll, I'll wash it and return it to you. <laughs> the island... Um... Along with the Canaries in Scotland, were you know represented a early place for you to sort of get experienced in gnarly surf, Rhines. Um, it was. Where was the first really heavy surf that you can ever remember going out in? Well, I think like, the first couple of trips we did with with Welsh Coast Surf Club were kind of pretty boozy, and uh, <laughs> it wasn't a lot of surfing done, but it was a great laugh. But of course, I got a taste for it, and I got to know the sort of the Sligo area and up at Bandoran and that. Um, but uh, the one real trip which sort of stuck in my mind, I mean, it, it wasn't really uh, – I kind of just obviously listening to your first podcast and talk about, like, nightmare trips and that. It, it, it was kind of the, the one which sticks in my mind where – it was a bit of a nightmare. It started off a six-hour ride across – um, or you know the six across six hour ride across Ireland after being on the boat from Swansea to Cork for twelve hours in a storm, and uh, we eventually get to Doolin Pier, and across the way from Doolin Pier is a, a long paddle is a wave called Crab Island, and oh, right hander, that's right, uh, fabulous, absolutely incredible scenic looking wave, and um, we did a trip with Carv um, Mag. Um, Chris Power came. I, I, I think Steve came as well. Um, and we paddle across. We, you know, it's that typical thing. You know, when you go surfing and you're like, you, you're just, you know, you're just throwing everything everywhere out of the car. You know, just can't get your wetsuit on quick enough. And I paddle across. Uh, and we've only been there like twenty minutes. I paddle across. I paddle into like the set wave comes in. Uh, it just stands up absolutely stands up i mean it's solid it's just so i don't know how big it was it was over it was way overhead um but it just sort of i sort of tried to come out the front um and the lip came down landed square on my shoulder and i could just remember like hideous pain being underwater thinking mm, that didn't feel so good anyway i sort of come to the surface and i'm it's like crab island is out to sea and it's like these big boulders and I got washed in amongst all the boulders above my head I'm thinking oh this definitely isn't good because I couldn't actually get myself out of the water because one of my moms wasn't working but anyway I eventually got around the island in the rip and managed to scramble up on top of the island and I can remember looking out and just seeing the most perfect perfect barreling waves being utterly broken in every sense of the word 
um, that knowing that I was going to have to go home. And I'd only been there 20 minutes. Um, no. But then, so I was in a predicament then. So I'm on this island out at sea. It's only, it's not, it's only probably, I don't know, like an, a football pitch size island. And I'm on the island thinking, well, I'm going to have to paddle back now with one arm. So I sort of like look out and I can see a boat paddling, sort of puffing out, thinking, oh, well, there you go. He's come to get me. So I wave to him, waving with my good arm. He just waved past and sort of chugged off. It goes out into the distance. And I'm like, ah, okay. So there you go. And that was it, really. And that was the end of my trip. That really was the end of my trip to Ireland. It literally was one wave. Uh, and then I managed to get home on the plane and the, like within a couple of hours. And that was me out of the water for another six months. So nice. talk, talking of, uh, so Tom, just before that, you talked about Ireland there, Rhino. Tom mentioned about uh, the Canary Islands. And when uh, a couple of years, well, again, it's not a couple of years ago. It's a long time. It's probably like 18 years ago now, just shy of that maybe. Tom and I did a reissue of Welsh Coast Surf Club's uh, old magazine lineup. And in our first, we did three, three issues, I think. And in the first one, we, we ran a photo of you on the cover. And it was, I think that was from a, a round round trip to the canaries i think it was at the bubble all right and it's what it's again that's one of the photos i kind of like remember from gromhood of seeing you just like falling out of the lip into this right hand pit i'm sure you know the photo i'm on about i think i think i probably do know it yeah and it's, uh... that, that's that was that you had somewhat of an affinity didn't you with the, the that northern track in Fortaventura? i did i did it was it was one of those things which um I was always aware of as a, a young kid because Giles and the older, the older, older than me, older guys were, were going there quite regularly. So this is the shaper problem. Giles Davis that you're talking about there. That's right. From heavy session surfboards. He was the original founder. Um, and Giles used to come back with these stories of big waves and surfing. And I was like, you know, size of lampposts and stuff like that. And I was like, what? I want a bit of this. I really want a bit of this, but I could just couldn't get there. You know, it was when like, yeah, I was young and it was just, and in the end, I was like, I've got to go. And I can remember, I went, my first ever trip was with Gary Lewis and Paul Lovell. And I remember being in the bubble and Gary saying that the waves travel fast. And when you paddle into them, you've really got to dig in. And I, I vividly remember my first wave as it came towards me as I turned to paddle for it. I couldn't believe the thickness and how fast it was going. And I, I actually pulled back and I went, Gary, you go. I, I couldn't. It was just incredible. Um, but obviously, after a while, I sort of got used to it. And over like quite a number of trips, many winters in uh, the Canaries in Fort Aventura, uh, like we ended up scoring some solid waves in Acid Drop, Mechiones. I mean, I'm, I'm, and I'm not talking waves like Malak Moore or, or I'm not claiming to be a massive big wave surfer. But at the time for me and like a lot of the boys, we were like, you know, it was quite big for us, you know. So, uh, but that's what I enjoyed doing, you know, and that's where my enjoyment of bigger waves come from, you know. I'm not, and again, I'm not saying I'm a big wave surfer, but uh, I just like it a bit bigger. Well, I, I can uh, attest to Rhino's attitude to gnarly waves myself because um, you, you probably remember when I was, I think I was 20. And uh, you and Jeremy Evans, um, a colleague of yours at the Realm, yeah. picked me up at six o'clock. You phoned me and you said, we're on our way to your house. We're going to Thurzo now. Are you in? Yes. And, uh, and, and, and so <laughs> yeah. 15 minutes after the phone call, I was on my way to Thurzo with you guys. And there was a swell. We went up there and it was pretty chunky Thurzo. And uh, I remember being really nervous on the way up, thinking like, oh, no, if like, you know, it's going to be barreling now. And, 
you know, like this time, it's not some random Aussie who's going to see if I can surf these kind of waves. It's the boys from home. You know, they're going to they're going to tell other people how I do. Um, we got up there, and and this, of course, I'm going to ask you about guns in a minute, actually, because this was back yeah. when we had the attitude that you know you had to ride guns in big surf, and I think nowadays that seems to be a thing that people seem to have sort of almost you know it's like the four minute mile. People have kind of broken that mental barrier and use smaller boards in bigger surf now. But I remember having a six two DHD bricking it we went in the water and you took a 6.6 jp in and about halfway through the session rhino goes oh i'm feeling a bit undergunned on this thing i'm going to go in and get my 6.10 do you want to use my 6.6 instead and i was like yes yes please please so rhino goes right swap leashes i'll take your 6.2 in so i've been like finding this thurzo quite you know challenging and uh, and then ryan's paddles for the for the this full bomb set on my 6.2 dhd kind of like free falls to the bottom of it and I remember looking over the ledge of it and just kind of seeing the board do like skateboard wobbles as he does this big bottom turn on it. And then he just kind of squares up, the barrel comes over him. And I remember seeing your hair sort of go and stand up on on its ends like you'd been electrocuted or something as like the wave breathed. And then you didn't make it, but you know, you did the 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 the, the gung-ho attitude to, to that wave. And I remember thinking, oh gosh, this is totally surfable on a, you know, I got a, I've got this six six now, I've got to go for it. Um, do you remember that trip? I do. I do clearly. I think I actually remember that wave. Actually, I've got because I remember the vision of of like that actual set and it like because as you know, like Thurzo is is just dreamlike, isn't it? And uh, I, yeah, oh, it, it was, was that was that was a mega surf. mega session. It was. Can incredible I just say that one thing? One of the things which sticks out in my mind, <laughs> I can remember. I, know I think what you're I must say. Been, <laughs> I know what you're I remember. Say. I remember. I was. I, I can. I can still remember. It's brilliant. Like paddling back out. I got the gun. And I'm sort of like stroking out. It's got loads of float on it. And so I'm just sort of like. And I can see Tom paddling into this absolute bomb. I'm like, yes, just go. You gotta go. You gotta go. And he just drops into it. And fair play. You just like, like in this absolute steaming barrel. And uh, like you sort of crouching, I'm thinking, well, okay, he's going in, he's, he's still, he's, and it stayed open. And you thought you'd come out the barrel, but I did. you kind I did. of I, like celebrated so early. I think so I threw early. a double shaka with each hand <laughs> that you would you you <laughs> And uh, it was just, the you just got guillotined. Like you put your head up above <laughs> the parapet, and it was like that Wilbur Cookmere thing where you just see your feet go up and over like a full scorpion. I was like, amazing. And I just and, remember, and, brilliant, brilliant. And from land, it's the worst possible not make because what what the view from land would be would be me pulling into the barrel, and then just as I've done all the work and made it, clipped by the head, flying backwards, <laughs> board exits the barrel and makes its way safely out onto the shoulder. <laughs> Skillful there, barrel there avoidance. Is, <laughs> but there's nothing finer than seeing one of your mates just get absolutely drilled, is there, by like a big set wave. It's absolutely. so funny. I, I begged uh, Rhino and Jem for the rest of that trip to let me count that wave as a barrel and they were like, nope, that's the whole nope. point. It's, it's a high rolling game, it's high stakes. You did not make it. You were you were yeah. one inch away from the from the boys going home and telling everyone that you got barreled, but you didn't get barreled because you didn't make that's it. That's it. And I, I think my I think I, I fall on the side of Rhino and Jem here. That's that's not a mate, Tom. By the sounds of it, it sounds like you you got guillotined and ended up as a scorpion yeah, before you made the barrel. And but one thing I, I'd, I'd like to mention. So Rhino, your uh, your reputation precedes you in uh, the barrel riding kind of stakes and. 
not only obviously on your front side at Thurzo, but you're you're well known as a as a backside tube rider. Oh, yeah, as a a competent backside tube rider. <laughs> Where did that come from? Uh Joe, you know, it, it's I, I feel a bit more comfortable on my backside than I do on my backs on my front side. But uh, that that came from again just a local break in town, which was I I wouldn't call it a slab. It's pretty shallow. Um, I don't know whether we'd surf it if the water was uh, less murky, because I think it is actually quite shallow. But, um, yeah, we'd surf it in, um, again at lunchtime. Um, it only doesn't work for very long. It's just an hour. But it can barrel. It's a left, obviously. Uh, but it, I just would go in there, and I loved it. Super short takeoff, uh, very small takeoff area. Uh, it's a quick little barrel. Old Reg would always be in there with me. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> always tell me I was sitting in the wrong place. But, uh, but I, you know, like it would for some reason it would be it would just stay open. I think I don't know. It was it was one of those waves would always stay open. In fact, uh, I like I, I went there about just before this COVID thing um, with Logan with Logan Nickel, and he'd never surfed it before. And he's like, "What's this place like? What's this place?" And he he well, he's a frother anyway, isn't he? His old Logan. Yeah. But he came out. He's like, "I gotta come. You gotta take." But it, it's so fickle, the tides, everything. But so, yeah, it was in town in Portugal, and uh, that's where I just, that was my go-to spot. I think that does tell us a little bit about your attitude as well there, though, Rhines, because I've tried to learn to backhand tube ride there, and obviously with a bit less skill than you, but uh, I, I just have been thrown face first into that reef a million times trying to learn because I find it a really tight, difficult backhand tube. And, and it, I do find that really interesting that, you know, you 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 cite a difficult wave as the place you learn to do it because a lot of people would say that you know they learn to tube ride in a in a in a, a a more accessible tube than something like that you don't mind falling yeah. off no. I, well don't forget i'm a i'm a big guy and uh i need a, a wave with a bit more power to get me going you know so uh but yeah i, I it's okay i don't think in fact i did actually dislocate my other shoulder uh in this spot um not long after the island trip. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so it, 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 people do hurt themselves there. And in fact, in fact, the, uh, a bodyboarder uh, broke his neck there about Gosh. six, seven years ago, didn't he? He's okay now, but uh, it's vertebrae mm. or something. But uh, I remember Julian yeah. Gardner dislocating his shoulder in there as well, and uh, the surf was pumping, and he was on the prom trying to ram his shoulder back in. He was running against the wall uh. trying to slam it back in so he could go in again, and he couldn't. Oh, God. Yeah. Can, can we yeah. go back to that topic of guns? Because um, you you do still like to add a bit of length to a board when you go on a trip and the surf's going to be good, don't you? And uh, you gave me this idea and of of using the gun like in rubbish surf at home before you go on a trip. And I actually did that when you advised me to do it. And I couldn't believe that that I I, I that I didn't ever that I didn't always do it because. We get these boards shaped, you know, like a six-six round pin or whatever it is, to surf yeah. waves that are so, you know, that we don't come across very often. And then we go and surf those waves abroad on a board that we don't know. And I remember you saying to me, like, "Well, just you know, take that board in like two-foot slop at home, so at least you know the way it works." And you stand by that idea, don't you? I think very recently I surfed the point with you, and you were on a six-seven or something like that because you were going to take it on a trip. Absolutely, yeah. I think um, it's just. It's that thing you've just got to have a little practice, don't you? You know, and uh, be familiar, get it under your under your arm, feel the weight of it, um, and then 
if you can get it in the water, it, you know, it doesn't even matter if it's two foot or if even it's a bit bigger at your home break. Just just as long as you know how it paddles, that you're comfortable with it. I think um, the board you talked just before Christmas, I um, Johnny Purton, JP Surfboard's got me a uh, shape me a seven six, um, which my intention is to take it away to um, Indo whenever we can get there. But um, I've been riding it just before uh, over Christmas and before this, and it's. You know, it's 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 one. It's just a lot of fun. I, like I'm at a point in my surfing life where I'm just doing it for the love and the enjoyment, and I can paddle out on a big long board like a seven six gun when it's a bit bigger. You know, when it's maybe six foot or five six foot, um, and just a big carve or a big bottom turn feels amazing on these things. You know, so um, yeah, we're uh, I, I just. Bigger boards for me just suited me down to the ground. I was a bigger guy anyway, so uh, it didn't really make a lot of difference. Now, the other thing that we have to ask you about was uh, oh, yeah. going back through time a bit now again. You chaperoned, or surf trip with whatever, I don't know what's, what's the wording for it. You did a 10-day surf trip through uh, France, Wales and England with Tom Curran. I did, I did. Um, how did that come about and what was that like again it was again it was down to brad hockridge we were sponsoring uh tom curran with the brand that we did uh called the realm and tom was uh, a great ambassador for the brand so of course with him and his close affinity to france being well living there and partly in panama um we sort of just jumped on that opportunity to get him to visit some of our customers down in France and then bring him back to the UK and take him around the UK, like you said, through Wales and England, through the uh, the realm customers down there. Um, yeah, what a what a, an opportunity it was. Very uh, surreal, to be honest, to be given that opportunity. I don't know where you want me to start. Um, I um, know. Well, I. I've been kind of relayed this story secondhand uh, through Scope Mark Schofield, who was, of course, working with you at the time. And it was it was on that trip. Yeah. Um, this, I think it was like in northern Spain or somewhere. And a shop owner that you were you were visiting with, Tom Curran, had this had been to Hawaii at some point and taken like a 12 photo sequence of Tom Curran at Pipeline. And Tom Curran is, is of course, notoriously quite shy and, and quite retiring. And so you're in this shop and trying to promote the brand and this this uh, the shop owner had so many questions for Tom and he was saying very little. So Scoff's there trying to prompt him to kind of engage with the shop owner. And he was like, Oh wow, this, this photo sequence is amazing. That, I was, that must've been one of the best waves of your life. You know, that, how did it feel? And Tom Curran, all he could muster was, yeah, it was kind of cool. Uh, and, and, and you know what, Th- that voice uh, is Tom Curran all over. Um, I, I don't know, like I'm not a very good, how to describe people but he is very unassuming he's shy very retiring just definitely is not into the limelight at all like hey i was i was with him for 10 days i like can't claim to know him really well but from what i remember and what i experienced with with him was just the most amazing experience they say that you know you're not do they advise you what's the term you're it's, not it's never meet your heroes isn't it yeah never meet your heroes so like at that particular point like tom's surfing was like the pinnacle that's where i'd want to be um but i didn't know him as a person so that was all new to me but like his surfing obviously didn't disappoint like we surfed together we surfed all over the place um 
which was incredible, you know, just being with Tom in the water and like, he'd be like, Hey, Rhino, you go for this one. Hey, right. You know, and that was, that, that's pretty cool. Um, but like, but as a person, um, yeah. Wow. Like this, this trip happened. I think it was when I first had my first ever mobile phone, like phones didn't really ring that much back then. And I think to this day, my phone has never ever rang as much as it did when I spent time with Tom Curran. Um, <laughs> people, I, people I didn't even know were just ringing me up, like, "Hey, Rhino, how's it? Can I? Do you mind if I just come round? I wouldn't mind a jam on the on the." And Tom's like, going, "No, no, 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 no! I'm, I'm just gonna chill tonight." That's... And, and, and and that's exactly what he was like. Do you know what I mean? He'd be like, that's "We'd just funny. have a beer in the night." Um, but then the um, the one. Not on a surfing thing, but there was this one time, um, and I was on. There was not just me; it was Jem Evans, who was also working for the realm at the time, a good friend of mine. And um, we'd been out surfing all day, and of course, we come back, have a couple of beers, and it's bedtime, and we're we're going to bed, and uh, Tom is jamming on his on his guitar in my bedroom, <clears throat> and I'm like, "Oh, Tom, can you give her? A I'm tired." I'm just... <laughs> and uh, uh, surreal, yeah, and. Jem, yeah. So Jem comes in and goes, Rhino, Rhino, you you can't go to sleep. This this is gonna you you just can't go to sleep. I was like, okay, and I was a bit like cheesed off. Anyway, I can remember looking up and like because I'd obviously the light was off and uh, I can and it sounds so cheesy, but I was looking out and I can see a silhouette of Tom playing the guitar and with a full moon behind him. But not only that. He was. He made up a song about me, but this is. He, it, and it was the song was called "Rhino the Whale," and I don't know, like. So it was like, yeah, it was. It was just bizarre, and um, it was just one of those things which stayed with me. Yeah, you know, and that, that was is that gold. was that was Tom all That's over so, really. You know, like, so to, funny. Yeah, and he was oh, just happy me. when he was just playing his guitar. You know, he just seemed that. Seemed I just, really I've really got this, just this, the funniest image of this person that you kind of like idolized all your life, and then all of a sudden he's sitting at the end of your bed singing a yeah. song about you, and you tell him, "Just shut up, man. Yeah, I'm trying to get that's, to sleep. What are you doing?" That's that's, what, that's exactly what it was. And uh, like Jem said, he said, "You know, you need to uh, you need to suck this in and and put it in your memory bank because you'll remember live, it. Live in the moment. Absolutely. And I, I just want to get to sleep. I'm going to get surfing in the morning. Yeah, yeah." Um, that's funny. Just moving on slightly, uh, yeah. Rhino. You um, recently have caught. Well, I say recently in the in the past year or so, we've seen uh, the the wave in Bristol open up, and I've seen yeah. some footage and photos of you there. Yeah. But before that, uh, when in Snowdonia in North Wales, the the first uh, kind of commercial wave pool in the UK opened. You're at the opening of that as well. What, what's your take on that? On the whole wave wave pool scene. I'm into it big time. I loved it. I like even before um, Snowdonia had opened, I'd gone to Dubai and I'd surfed the the wadi in Dubai. Oh yeah. yeah. So, so by the time like Snowdonia was open, I was just amping to get on it. It to me, it doesn't. Uh, it's just it's just a different form of surfing. It's just it's you know it's it is what it is. Um, it's interesting you say that because I've I've been on the waving. I was actually I booked into surf the Snowdonia one, but it broke down a week. I was due to go, but I've, I've since surfed the the Bristol one. Yeah. And speaking to people who haven't yet been there, I say it, it's not surfing. It's something, it's like another sport, but it, it complements it rather than detracts from it. It'll never replace it, but it's something to do alongside it. A hundred percent. I think for me, um, the one thing I'm sure you've heard it said before, I mean, to me, it was 
the first thing I remember about Snowdonia was the repetition of the wave that you're pretty much just doing that same turn. And that's the great thing about it is that you can send the grommets there, you know, the Welsh team, the British team, whatever, you know, and they can perfect those manoeuvres over and over and over. Um, and I, I, that's why I love Snowdonia. I thought it was awesome. I thought it was really good. Uh, apart from the, I mean, it's a, the training facility, but it, fitness wise, I mean, crikey, I was, I think I had a three hour session there and I think I had something like 50 waves or something. I was, broken. it took me like a week to recover, but yeah. Really good, really, really. I good. spoke to I spoke to Mike Vaughan about this after the, the day after I'd been to the Bristol one, and I, and stupid, I only booked an hour. I wanted to get a second hour in afterwards, but yeah, I was knackered. I surfed for an hour, and I I was with uh, quite a few people that obviously didn't surf that often, um, just based on the the kind of paddle fitness because I, I was getting two waves every set, and by the end of it, I'd had like maybe twenty five waves in the hour, just shy yeah. of that, and I was yeah. beat. I was done. Yeah, absolutely. I think that it was, really that... saps it, doesn't it? Yeah, it is, and I, like. If if you're not fit, if you paddle fit anyway, like you you're going to start missing, like you said, those set waves which are coming through. But the thing is, you want to maximise your money, don't you? You want to get as many waves as you can for your money. It's at the um, forefront, yeah, yeah. So uh, the pressure's on when you are on that takeoff spot, isn't it? You know, you're like, don't want to mess this one up. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, yeah. Um, that place is you... only down the road, uh, Rhines. But um, yeah. you have of late the last couple of years fallen completely in love with the island of bali haven't you and that has been somewhere that you have returned to time and time again what is it about bali that captures your imagination so much it's that like for me um as i'm getting older i've got a family now i'm married um you know it's not all about me i'd love to go to the mentawis if i could you know every year but it's just not going to work um the kids aren't going to stay on an island they need a bit of uh you know something to do um so if my wife needs you know she needs something to do as well so and bali ticks all those boxes it's i mean it's an awesome place it really is i i the only regret about bali that i have is that i didn't go there like 20 years ago um but um mm-hmm. saying that like you know i the, the spot which i really enjoy surfing in, in bali is a wave called impossibles uh, it's a long, long left-hander. It can get really big, really solid, and it's even good when it's small as well. Um, but like you said, I think one of the things is that, like, I go in peak season pretty much the time when I go. I've been going in August, and it's just this thing. You almost don't have to check the surf. You just put your boardies on, and you just go down the beach, and it's pumping no matter what time you go there. Um, so, yeah, it's it, it's it gets in like for me indonesia um and asia in particular as well is just amazing place to be i just you know the food the people the surf is off the chain um yeah it just it's great for me at this stage of my life and you're a fan of bingin as well that's right yeah well bingin is where i stay um like you just i like you know first of all it was just by chance actually to be fair while we went there um, it was through recommendations of p- other people. So we thought, okay, we'll give it a try. Um, and you just got to go down there and you'll, you realize when you go there that, I mean, it's cra- People always, it's funny, people ask me this question, oh, but was it crowded? Um, I, I always think, do you know what? It, it kind of was crowded, but the thing is, like we surf Rest Bay and like on, on a Saturday or a Sunday, you know, there can be 300 guys in Rest Bay. Um, and we, I think I just end up getting used to surfing in crowds. So it's, I don't find it that bad there, you know, in terms of crowds. But um, mm. so that's why I just, you know, everything about it just, just works. I, um, 
I have a love for being in as well, Rhino, and that stretch of close up on the Bukit Peninsula. And yeah. um, oh, it must have been, it was two two winters ago now. I was there for the for the wet season. I remember. It was the, it was the year my mum retired and as a kind of like celebration of her 42-year-long teaching career, my sister had booked this really fancy padded thing in. And it yeah. was it was like one of the, this apartment that you kind of see in in home magazines. It was insane, like infinity pool to the balcony. Yeah, it was like I can't ever imagine affording to stay in a place like that again. But I was thankful for my sister uh, taking the mantle on that one. I think um, that was. A, I was just going to say that was the other thing for for me is that like um, as a kid, uh, just going off a bit here, like everybody would go down to France and Spain when we were younger because it was so cheap to go there. Um, yeah. And Indonesia was always this dream. Mm. Like it was so uh, not accessible place to get it's to. Unobtainable, yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, now you go there and it's, you know, it's so well-priced. Everything is, That's you know, to, to stay overnight is, you know, you can get amazing places to stay for really, really well-priced, good absolutely. prices. You know? So, yeah, you, you're absolutely right. I, I mean, I, I've been to Bali quite a few times, and again, you kind of always live above your normal means because everything's so affordable. This place, this place was spectacular; it's next level. But the whole, so, so much so that we, we, of the two weeks we were there, we, we were only booked in for a small portion of it because we were kind of moving around. Right. But as soon as we moved into this apartment, I came down with this illness. I don't know what it was. I was just violently ill for the the duration of our stay there. Just fever. One second I was boiling hot, the next second I was freezing cold. Which, of course, oh, the, the barley belly—they call it. Don't nah, they? but it was—it was—it was beyond barley belly. It was really—it was just. Be, it was honestly, it was beyond. I couldn't do anything. I just slept. I tried my best to sleep while sweating and being boiling hot, vomiting, goodness knows what. But the surf was so good, even during the wet season, that I, I, I surfed nonetheless, and it, that didn't help matters. I got sunstroke, and goodness knows what. <laughs> but. I had a fantastic trip. However, that kind of whilst I was suffering on the on the mattress there in that beautiful apartment, looking over pumping waves in Bingen, that was a somewhat of a, a a bad surf trip at that particular moment. And that leads us very very nicely in to our regular feature, uh, the worst surf trips ever. And uh, it it continues to be a feature that our listeners love writing to us about. So much so that we we promised we're going to do a whole show on surf trip nightmares before the summer is fully underway. And today's trip nightmare comes from friend of the show, Ridian Lewis. And for those of you that don't know him, Rid was, in a previous life, a highly decorated bodyboarder. However, he has successfully made the code change to surfing and is a common fixture in the lineups of South Wales and beyond. With his successful transition in mind, we're going to allow Rid to spin us a yarn from another cousin of the surf trip, the snow trip. Yes, indeed, this, despite not quite falling within our parameters, made us laugh enough to give it a whole pass of sorts. And so I'll begin. So this, of course, is uh, an email that uh, Ridian sent us this week. I'm not sure if this is allowed, but I wondered if you wouldn't mind allowing my snowboarding trip into your series of disastrous surf trips. The year was 2005, and at a time... At the time, my good friend and ex-flatmate Matt Hapgood from Puthcourt had managed to blag himself a job parking cars in a posh hotel in the French Alps. Never one to pass over the opportunity of a cheap ski trip, I sent him a single text, got his address and replied with my date of arrival. In those days, I was living up in Scotland, 
So my trip involves flying from Edinburgh to London, then London to Barcelona, then getting a train from Barcelona to Grenoble, and then taking a four-hour chicken bus to my final destination of Altuez. This nearly uh, 30 hours door-to-door. Once I arrived, I met Math and his new friends and went out for a beer. I was feeling a bit tired after my long journey and was keen to hit the slopes early the next morning. I also had a bit of a sore throat. Math informed me that he had arranged some accommodation for me, sharing an apartment with an Irish lad who was after some rent money. This apartment turned out to be a single, filthy room. The toilet had blocked, the toilet had blocked and flooded the place a few weeks previously, and the carpet stunk of excrement. The duvet and pillow had been used for the whole season without covers and were both brown and mouldy. But hey, I was a hardened Welsh surfer, surfer and such trivialities were no problem for me. So I quickly settled down for some shut-eye, looking forward to the next day's boarding. It was then that my problems began. By the morning, my sore throat had turned into the worst bout of the flu that I had ever had. I had a 40-degree fever, was confused and babbling, could barely stand to even again, for the benefit of iTunes, urinate. Moreover, my new flatmate seemed to think it was all rather amusing and promptly moved into his girlfriend's place, leaving me on my own with no food, books, TV, or medicine. (laughs) I love reading this. It's funny. So to summarize, I spent the next seven days alone lying in a filthy bed, either crying, sleeping, or crying (laughs) in my sleep. (laughs) crying sleeping or crying in my sleep after four days i did manage to crawl up the street to buy some bread to eat (laughs) this is such a sorry state i also staggered into the pharmacy where i met a lovely looking but entirely unsympathetic pharmacist who looked at me with contempt gave me that classic french shrug and handed me some paracetamol by day seven i was a broken man i had not touched the snow i could barely stand up and somehow had to find my way back to barcelona for my two flights home The final insult awaited me when I finally got back to my flat in Edinburgh. Laughing unsympathetically, my girlfriend Fiona told me that she had the same illness just after I had left and had felt fine after just 24 hours. Ever since then, she has basically accused me of making the whole thing up. I have not returned to Abduez. And that, of course, uh, from our friend Rid. Uh, Rhino, have you got any shockers like that? That one made me laugh. It's just the the, the, the picture that Rid painted of the excrement on the carpet and the the mouldy <laughs> the mouldy mattress, and not even touching the snow. Thirty hours of travel to be sick in, in an Irishman's apartment for a week, and then returning home thirty hours to Edinburgh. <laughs> Anything along those lines? Do you know what? Nothing as uh, dire as that. I've <laughs> always been pretty uh, lucky, really, when it comes to surf trips. Pretty much, um, like I said, like I mentioned that island trip earlier. Um, that was probably as bad as it got, but, um, you know, I've, I've, like I said, I went to Morocco, I had it flat for two weeks, you know, and what else do you do? But, you know, I opened a few beers and that's about it. But, uh, actually on the way to, um, Bali last year, a bomb went off outside our hotel one in Bangkok, uh, which is kind of troublesome and pretty worrying. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so you, so you have good luck on trips, but you've dislocated your shoulder and been involved in a bombing. Yeah. yeah and uh, in fact and the year before we had a we were coming back for out of Denpasar uh flying back to Dubai and we had a fire on the airplane which was pretty bad as well I'd say that this demonstrates again to the listener a, a, a kind of a, a facet of Rhino's personality is that he's he's rather laid back in that <laughs> despite despite having a, a dislocation being involved in a terrorist incident and uh, a fire on board a moving plane 
He's not had any any problems on surf trips. <laughs> no, and then, but I tell you what the cool one was. We were in Bali uh, last year. We had uh, we had a, I think we had about four or five earthquakes as well, which was uh, which was a, which, which was a new one for me. But it, that was that was really interesting, good fun. Uh, but yeah, no, nothing as bad as reds. I got to be honest, nothing as bad as reds. <laughs> well, uh, thanks for that, Ryan. Uh, we, we well, we've more. We've more than undone the joys of our Bali chat. And from our listeners, yes, please do keep them coming. The email is castcrest at gmail.com. And you can also send us ideas through Instagram, especially if you have pictures. Yeah, we're still working on who the talent will be to uh, go through them all uh, with us in this uh, sort of single Surf Trip Nightmares episode that we're going to put together. But uh, we... We have spoken to somebody's agent, haven't we? As far as talent goes there, we're in negotiations. We do have an idea. Um, somebody who themselves has recently come back from a terrible stroke of, uh, of fortune on a surf trip. Um, perhaps we'll have to set up some sort of like bad trip awards thing. Uh, yeah, and Rhino, thanks for your uh, yeah multitudinous <laughs> contributions to terrible surf trips, even though you think you'd ever had one. Um, it's good to know it's not all fun. Yes. Who misses surf trips? Not us. Uh, so, Rhino, uh, thank you very much for coming on Crest. It's been great fun. Um, and, uh, yeah, just a pleasure. Thank you so much. Um, if you've enjoyed, listeners, please share your thoughts with us, uh, with others, with the world. Indeed. And remember, you can subscribe to us on Spotify, YouTube, or through Apple Podcasts. And then the next episode of Crest will come straight to your pocket, where it belongs. As for that next episode, well, we're going to be talking to six-time Welsh champion Emily Williams. Despite being modest in years, Emily has managed to acquire quite the collection of silverware, and judging by her recent social media posts, quite the collection of surfboards too. We'll be chatting to her about surfing, travel, and her recent successes in the world of competitive exercise, aka the triathlon. We can't wait. So, until the next instalment of Crest, thank you for your time, have a good week, and we'll see you soon. Hoyle Vaur. <laughs>